Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Lucille, a 57-year-old patient with type 2 diabetes, is asking for you to order a continuous glucose monitoring device for her. She has seen a show on TV where a diabetic had such a monitor on her and got regular glucose measurements without having to stick her finger. You review her labs and her last A1C was 8.5. You wonder if a CGM will help control her blood sugars better, but you're uncertain how to order it and if her insurance will cover it. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Dr. Robert Baldor, professor and the founding chairman from the Department of Family Medicine at UMass Medical School, Bay State in Springfield, Massachusetts. Hi, Bob. Hi, Frank. Glad to be here. Wow. Uh, CGM, uh, this is a regular occurrence now. Patients uh, are, are in the office every week saying, hey, can I get one of those gizmos? They've done a fantastic job of marketing on television the value or at least the presence of these continuous wearables. Uh, wearables are everywhere. I'm, I'm wearing a watch right now that tracks my heart rate, my sleep, whether I'm constipated, it tracks everything. Um, and, and I had a patient last week who wanted to know how he should track his, his sleep apnea. Was there a monitor for that? And many diabetic patients are asking about these monitors. Can you tell us a little bit about how CGMs work? Yeah, I tell you, wearables are out there. I, I, Frank, I stopped mine because it, 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 it was embarrassing me. It was, it was shaming, shaming me, and I got tired of that, so I stopped wearing my, my device. <laughs> but anyways, you know, um, so how this thing works, so unlike traditional uh, finger sticks where the actual uh, blood glucose levels measured, uh, these devices track blood glucose levels indirectly by measuring the glucose level in the interstitial fluids. So that it's, there's, there is a subcutaneous sensor that's there. It takes readings every minute uh, to five, every one to five minutes, uh, and that sensor then is attached to a, a, a transmitter. And so these things actually have to be inserted subcutaneously. Typically, it's in the upper arm. It uh, could be in the abdomen. These can actually be... Uh, inserted by the patient, although uh, commonly by the, uh, uh, in the office or uh, by an aid of some, uh, of some kind. So these devices then, they communicate uh, continually with a receiver, such as a smartphone, and so they can um, send alerts to you saying your blood sugars are high or your blood sugars are really low. Uh, others, though, do not do that. Again, there's, there's several on the market. Um, and, and instead, they transmit data only when the receiver is in close proximity. Um, so it could be that you're downloading something, then sending it to an office, or somebody's coming into your office and then getting the uh, the readings at uh, at that time. Okay, so we can get a whole lot more data about where their blood sugars are running, but data doesn't always mean better outcomes. Can you tell us uh, what data is out there that have evaluated these tools? Yeah, you know, so first, I, I mean, I got to say, I, I love the technology. It is so cool. I think it's really, really neat. And it turns out there's actually a bit of data available. And so I was actually drawn to a, a systematic review, which was published last year in Diabetes Care. 
they performed a meta-analysis uh, looking at a variety of randomized controlled trials, and they compared continuous glucose monitoring, CGM, with usual care. Uh, and they looked at glycemic control for both type 1 and type 2 diabetics. And they uh, looked at changes in time uh, for um, A1C. They looked at time in target. They looked at time uh, time and target range, saying this is your this is your 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 range which we expect for your your glucose. So what's your time then in your in your targeted range? What's your time below that? What's your time above that? And what's the variability for that? The studies that they looked at these range from just 12 to 36 weeks, and they but they did involve almost 2,500 uh, patients. They actually showed that compared with usual care. Continuous glucose monitoring was associated with a modest reduction in A1C. Well, what was that modest reduction? You could drop your A1C by, on average here, 0.17%. So you're seeing uh, a tenth of a percent to two tenths of a percent decrease in your A1C level. They did see an increase in uh, time in range. And again, here, this was, um, so on average, um, you're 70 minutes within range versus 94 minutes on average. Um, they did also, though, lowered uh, some of the other targets that they, uh, that, that they talk about. So this uh, time in, um, this increase in time and range, turns out was significantly different and independent of the different, uh, type, whether you had type one or type two diabetes, what your insulin delivery was, and, uh, or the reason for even starting the uh, a continuous glucose uh, monitoring. Now, intermittently scanned glucose monitoring and sensor augmented pump were associated with a greater decline in the uh, time below range. So that was, again, and as I think about this, the thing that, that and I know your patient was coming in worrying about control, but the thing I worry about is hypoglycemia. And so they did see some benefit here for uh, uh, less, less likely to be uh, below range. And they actually concluded then that this continual glucose monitoring improves glycemic control by expanding the time in range and decreasing the time below range and uh, for both type 1 and type 2 diabetics. Okay, so we have a statistical difference that the study concluded, but are these clinically important? It seems like, uh, I agree with you, maybe decreasing the amount time below uh, range uh, decreases hypoglycemic events, and those are the things that scare us, those are the things that, that kill patients, but I, I'm, not, I, I'm not seeing the benefit for other people. Can you, can you expand upon that a bit? Yeah, no, I, you know, I think part of the allure is right. I mean, certainly people sticking their fingers regularly, the allure of, you know, less invasive technique, it's just definitely, uh, definitely there. Of course, I'm going to go back to your the, the type 1 patient. I'm not actually recommending home glucose monitoring anyways for those type 2 diabetics. Uh, certainly if you're not on insulin, I don't, you know, there's not any data that shows improvement uh, uh, long term for this. Uh, but this, this technology is evolving. I'd like to look to see uh, if Medicare covers this because, you know, Medicare always in deciding whether they're going to pay for something, they say, is it reasonable and necessary? So in this case, Medicare has decided that they will pay for continuous glucose monitoring for patients receiving insulin via an insulin pump or are multiple daily injections uh, who actually require four or more daily finger stick glucose measurements in order to manage their diabetes. So there's a subgroup there that it makes sense. And also, um, you know, as I say, there's no uh, long-term studies at all out there that show any improvement for type 2 uh, uh, patient-oriented outcomes from uh, continuous uh, uh, glucose monitoring. And so, as you know, as I've read more about this, 
I'd consider use for, I've had a brittle diabetic, or again, people I'm concerned about for hypoglycemia. These are potentially, those are potentially life-threatening conditions. So yeah, but I see no benefit for most type two diabetics. Even if they're being treated with basal insulin, I don't see a need to do this. You're not changing your monitoring, uh, what, what you're doing. A1C is certainly still fine. But the best way to come back to your patient, Lucille, the best way to control her diabetes would to be to utilize a different type of CGM, continuous gym membership. We know that daily activity will be a huge help for our diabetics. And so I'd rather recommend that CGM rather than this technology. I couldn't agree with you more, Bob, and we don't normally say that. This is this is a wonderful review. I think it sheds light on the statistical benefit and possibly lack of clinical benefit. And I'm sure as time marches on, the cost of these things will go down and people will be able to use them more and more. And you never know, maybe it will have an impact for our type 2 diabetics. But I sure wish there was a good monitoring tool that got them to exercise more and 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 be careful with their diet. Bob, thanks so much for bringing this. Yeah, Frank, this, uh, it, was, it was helpful for me to look at this too, because you're right, patients are coming in and I was, uh, wasn't clear that there was any data. So now at least I can um, you know, help, to, help them understand the, the, the best uses for these and why it's not something I think that they, that they need. Practice pointer, continuous glucose monitors are becoming more prevalent. They're most useful for patients who suffer or are at high risk for hypoglycemic events. Their benefit in other patients seems small, if any. Join us next time when we talk about the relationship between adverse pregnancy outcomes and a woman's future cardiovascular risks. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com podcast and see you next week.